Be seated. We're going to ask our men if they'll come now and get ready to receive the offering tonight. If they'll come on, we'll get ready to do that. I'll be praying for our pastor. I, I, we haven't heard, Ron, if the ship didn't sink, the plane didn't crash, right? Because they were all worried about the plane crash, crashing and all that and getting on the boat. So I guess they're all right down there suffering for Jesus in Mexico. You know how that is if you've ever been on a cruise. It's rough, but somebody has to do it. But continue to pray for our pastor tonight and theirs. They're, they're, they're getting some time together. And uh, I'm going to ask Brother Sam Ellison, if you will, please. That's the Lord's blessing on the offering tonight. Amen. When you finally make your entrance in that city with jasper walls and bright golden avenues as you survey all its beauty and its splendor. Remember there's still one request I make of you. Look for me for I so much to view but after you've been there 10,000 years a million maybe two look for me for I Gonna be a homecoming. As you go down your list of first things, ain't no question. You'll want to see your loved ones waiting there for you. Gonna meet them up. 
And when you feel like you've shared your story with the last one that wants to hear you tell just how you made it through. Look for me. I'd love to hear it too. I realize when you arrive, there'll be so much to view. But after you've been there 10,000 years, a million, maybe two, look for me, for I will be there too. Look for me. I will be there too. I will be there We appreciate that. We're going to ask Brother Damon to come on now. I heard they're doing some remodeling down at Newton Chevrolet. I think they got into Brother Damon's office and started working. The first thing they said to improve that office and make it 100% better was just to get him out of it. So anyway, he is out of it, and we're glad he's here tonight. Now he gets a chance at me. Appreciate you. Thank you, Brother Rick. I would come back, but Rick, you're just too easy. Let me get my glasses to see if I'm turned on here. Well, I think I'm on. Glad to be here tonight. How about you? Uh, Brother Ken, last thing he said to me before he left, that uh, he says, Brother Damon, he says, I'll be either on the boat or on the beach, but I'll be lifting you up in prayer. So I am guess he's in Cosmail right now, maybe lifting us up in prayer. I don't know. Hopefully he is. I was looking around the auditorium a while ago, and I noticed uh, some things that uh, just let me know that this is going to be a good, good service tonight. And, most of y'all, a lot of y'all have been in services where people just get happy and rejoice. And you've heard them taking their shoes off and running the aisles and running the benches and things like that. So I noticed a while ago that Edith's getting a head start on everybody. and She's already got her shoes off. So don't be surprised if Edith just cuts loose here in a minute and starts running the aisles. She's getting prepared, I think. <laughs> she's already got her shoes off. But it is a privilege for us to be able to preach tonight. And I appreciate Brother Ken giving us an opportunity and uh, I just want to say, I'm where's Brother Rick? Oh, I knew every time he get, he leaves on me. But I just want to let was going to let Brother Rick know how much I appreciate him and the choir and the special singing. This this uh, church has some of the best singing, and uh, and from the choir and special singers that I have ever been a privilege to hear. And I really appreciate Brother Rick and his ministry here. You couple that with the good preaching of Brother Ken, and you've got a pretty good package, haven't you? Uh, glad to have my brother and his wife here tonight, Brother uh, William and Sylvia. I appreciate them being here and enduring one of my sermons. But uh, I guess he's trying to pay me back. I come and listen to him, so he's, he's, uh, he come to listen to me tonight. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Joel. I'd like for us to take one thought out of the book of Joel. And I realize that this thought, Joel chapter 3, I realize that this thought is... Uh, a prophetic thought in the book of Joel. And uh, I'm going to take it a little bit out of its context. I just want to use the words here tonight or the thought of this and then uh, bring a message on this. But before we go to God's word, let's go to, the word, to God in a word of prayer and have him bless, ask his blessing upon the sermon tonight. Lord, come to you tonight. We're thankful that we can be here tonight. Dear Lord, we stand before you tonight. 
noting that we're totally dependent upon you. And anything that we may say or do does not mean anything unless the Holy Spirit works. And dear Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would have its way in the service tonight. Pray that you just bless the reading and the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the book of Joel, chapter 3, verse 14, the Bible says here, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And like I said, I realize that this is speaking prophetically of things that will take place in the future. But just as it speaks prophetically of things that will take place in the future, that thought of multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision, holds true for, for us today, does it not? There are multitudes upon multitudes of people that we know, that we come in contact with, that our friends and neighbors and loved ones that stand in the valley of decision. They're going to be making decisions uh, about a lot of different things. So we all face decisions, do we not? This life is full of decisions. Not a day goes by uh, where that uh, there's without us making some kind of decision. Uh, some decisions are unimportant that we make. Some of you are trying right now to decide where you're going to eat after services tonight. Now that's not a very important decision, and I didn't think it was important until the older I get, the more important where I eat is. It's it's a pretty important decision. The days of the 12 o'clock and 1 o'clock in the morning uh, crystal runs and eating a bag full of crystals are over. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Every now and then you get a, you, when you was younger, you get a crystal craving. And, and about 12 o'clock you'd head out and eat a sack full of crystals and lay your head on a pillow and go to sleep. Wouldn't bother you a bit. If I was to do that now, I'd be up for three days. There's no way I could do that. So sometimes where you eat is an important decision. But most of the time where we eat is very unimportant. There are decisions that we make. That are not important decisions. They're unimportant decisions. But there are some decisions that we make that are important decisions. Like our, uh, the choosing of our mate that we have. Our lifetime mate that we, that we have. That's, a, that's an important decision. I uh, heard of a fellow that was uh, looking for a wife. And uh, everywhere he went, he would tell people, I'm looking for Mrs. Wright. I'm looking for Miss Wright. And uh, he'd go to church, and he'd say, I'm looking for Miss Wright. He'd go to the ball field. I'm looking for Miss Wright. Go to school. Wherever he went, he was looking for Miss Wright. Uh, a friend of his saw him several years later and asked him, said, well, I know that when you was young, you was always looking for Miss Wright. Did you ever find her? He says, yes, I finally found her, but the only thing is I didn't know her first name was Always. Uh, some of y'all will get that in a minute. But... Uh, our mate that we pick is an important decision uh, that we spend our lifetime with, and that's, a, that's an important decision. Uh, many of our decisions not only affect us personally, but they affect others as we make decisions in life. But there are some decisions that we make that are very, very important. And the question of what will you do with Jesus is the most important question that you'll ever answer. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. And no matter what decisions you make as far as what you do for a living or what mate that you choose or where you go to school or what career that path you take, those are all important decisions. But unless you make the most important decision, a correct decision, you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, all these other uh, decisions make uh, seem very small, do they not? So the most important decision that a person could ever make is to answer the question correctly, what will you do with Jesus? And we all stand in this valley called decision, do we not? Teenagers stand in this valley called decision. Young adults stand in this valley. Middle-aged seniors, no matter who you are, you stand in the valley called decision. And a lot of times our decision-making process is wrong. A lot of times uh, we make decisions based upon our human flesh, do we not? We make decisions based upon how we feel or what, uh, what situation is going on. And we make decisions based upon the flesh. But the Bible tells us not to walk after the lust of the flesh, but to walk after the Spirit. And the decisions that we make in life should be based on what God has to say about it. But a lot of times, unfortunately, as human beings and as human nature has it, we make decisions based on the lust of the flesh and what this flesh desires and wants. Our teenagers, as I thought about Brother 
uh, Terry as he's taking over our teenager department. Is, <clears throat> that is probably uh, one of the most important facets of our church along with the Awanas as, as we reach teenagers and young people and small children uh, for the Lord. Uh, because teenagers and even grammar school kids, they face things today that we never had to face as, as teenagers. And there's things that are put in their face day after day after day that we did not have to face. And the teenagers face this ungodly world. And Satan has launched an all-out attack, it seems like, on teenagers and young people, young adults. And he knows that uh, if he can get them as young, young adults and teenagers, that it will be very hard for them to ever give their heart and lives to the Lord. Satan also knows that one teenager sold out to God can influence the lives of hundreds hundred of other teens. And one young adult sold out to God. One young senior citizen or middle-aged person sold out to God can make a difference in a lot of people's lives. So we all face decisions today. But for our message tonight, I'd like for us to look at two men in the Bible. Both of these are in the New Testament. And I would like for us to look at these men and the valleys they went through and examine the decisions that they made. And no doubt the decisions that each of these men made were the most important ones of their life because the decisions that they made that we'll be looking at tonight will determine where that they would spend eternity. And we'll look at a couple of, uh, couple of men tonight and these are familiar verses. If you have your Bible again, turn to the book of Matthew. Building on the thought of multitudes, multitudes standing in the valley of decision. We have a rich young ruler in the book of Matthew chapter 19 standing in the valley of decision. Not only is he standing in the valley of decision, but he's also standing in the valley of delusion. This young, rich young ruler was, was standing there. He was seeking after something, but he was in the valley of decision and also in the valley of delusion. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 16, and behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, Which? And Jesus said, uh, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and, thou, and uh, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man said unto him, All these things I have kept from my youth up, what lack I now? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, or if thou wilt be complete, that word perfect can be complete or, or, uh, or uh, 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 in God's sight there. He says, If you'll be complete in God's sight or perfect, go and sell uh, that thou hast and give it to the poor that thou shalt have treasures in heaven and come and follow me but when the young man heard the saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions here we have a young man he's a rich young ruler standing in the valley of decision we see in verse 16 though that this young man he came seeking salvation no doubt he was sincere about what he was looking for no doubt he was concerned about himself. No doubt he was seeking the right thing, but we find that he was seeking the right thing in the wrong way. He asked the question here, what shall I do that I may have eternal life? See, this rich ruler was seeking salvation on his own terms. He was seeking to, for the Lord to tell him some act of uh, generosity, some act of kindness that he could perform, some act of goodwill that he could perform to someone or for someone, that, that he could have eternal life, that it would guarantee him salvation. Yes, he was seeking salvation, but he was seeking it in the wrong way because he was seeking salvation in his own terms or on his own terms. In verse 16, we see that he came to the Lord self-sufficient. He came seeking salvation, but he came self-sufficient. Verse 16, he asked the question, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? This does, does this not sound prideful and self-sufficient in his own self? What good thing that I can do? What thing can I do to perform or give to someone that I may have eternal life? And in verse 20 he, asks, he says this, 
when Jesus tells him to do these things, in verse 20, he says, All these things I have kept from my youth up. And then he says, ask the question, What like I yet? He's saying, Lord, I've done all these things. I've done all these things that you've told me that I must do. What is left for me to do? I've done everything. I've done all these things. In these two verses, we can see the pride that is dwelling up in this young man's heart and this young man's life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, the Bible tells us, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. See, pride is a terrible monster. Pride is a terrible thing. Pride will send more people to hell probably than any other thing. It's because people will not humble themselves before God. They hold back in their selfish pride and they won't humble themselves before God. And a lot of times you'll see people grip the back of a pew and they won't turn loose of that pew when they, the Holy Spirit of the Lord is dealing with them in their hearts and lives about salvation. But they'll take the back of a pew and grip it because their pride will not let them humble themselves before God. A survey found that 77% of Americans believe in heaven. 76% of say that their chances of going to heaven are excellent. The majority of Americans believe that when they die, they will spend an eternity in heaven. Now that's what people think. But you know what I found out a long time ago? That it doesn't really matter what I think. Have you, have you found that out yet? It doesn't matter about, a lot of times about what I think about things, especially eternal matters, especially spiritual matters. I can, be, I can, have, the wrong, uh, uh, I can have the wrong idea about things. But you know what? It doesn't matter what I think, but it does matter what this book says. Because this is what our standards, and this is what we go by. No matter what we think, or no matter what this group over here may say, or this group over here may say, or what this person may say, it doesn't matter what they think, or what they preach, or what they teach. If it's not according to God's Word, it really doesn't matter. Because Jesus, God, will have the last Word. And what His Word says is true. But it doesn't matter what I think or, or what I uh, say about it. God's Word is true. Turn to the book of, keep your finger in this place where we're at in chapter 19. But turn back to Matthew chapter 7. What does God's Word say about salvation? About people going to heaven? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Bible tells us here that not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What is the will of God? The will of God is that you humble yourself before him and accept his work on Calvary as your salvation, for your salvation. There's nothing that you can bring to the table. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing you can say. It's already been done. Accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's the will of God which is in heaven. It says, Many, many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name spiritual people and in thy name have we not cast out devils and in thy name have we not done many wonderful works and then I will profess unto them I never knew you depart from me you workers of iniquity that's what the Bible says about salvation it's not what man may think but it's what God says about this matter of salvation many people believe in a salvation based on that is false if you talk to many people today and if you get into discussion about salvation, you'll find that everybody has an idea about how to get to heaven. Everybody has their own opinion about how to get to heaven. And most of the time, they are basing their salvation on something that is false. Their hopes is based on a false premise. Many believe that salvation is, the outcome to be, is an outcome to be earned through good character or good behavior or good works. If they do enough, if I'm good enough, if I do this, if I do that, that I can receive salvation, that I can spend an eternity in heaven. That if a person is generally good or does enough good, that he will earn a place in heaven, much like this rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. That's what he thought also. But what does the Bible say about this? We've learned that not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let's find out what salvation is or what salvation is not. So, uh, turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, and you can quote this. You don't have to turn there. But the Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for, the, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
And these verses here, it tells us what salvation is not. Salvation is not a human achievement. Verse 8 tells us here, it's not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. You know, man, men can do, or man can do a lot of amazing things. They can walk on the moon. They can, uh, they've got computers now. They've uh, made these computers where you can talk all over the world. And, and I tell you what, it just boggles my mind, all the things that a computer is capable of doing. They can take a man's heart out of his chest and put it on a table and let it and work on it. And then they'll put it back in his chest and sew him up. And in a few days, he'll be walking around. That's amazing to me. What the capabilities that God has given man and things that man can do. Now, even though there's a lot of things that man can do, there's one thing that man can never do and will never be able to do regardless of how long he tries or how much money he has to spend on it. And man will never, never, never be able to achieve his own salvation. That is beyond our capabilities as human beings is to achieve our own salvation. Because Ephesians tells us this is not of yourselves. It's not you. It doesn't have anything to do with you. Man will never be able to achieve his own salvation. Not only that, but salvation is not human accomplishment. Verse 9 tells us in Ephesians, it says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is not by works. It's not by rituals. It's not by one's religion. It's not by one's own righteousness. But salvation is through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blood, verse 8 tells us what salvation is based on. And it's based on what is free. Aren't you glad that you don't have to uh, achieve your own salvation? Aren't you glad that you don't have to do something or work hard enough to achieve your own salvation? I'm, I'm afraid many of us and most of us, all of us would fall very, very short of what God expects if we had to work for our own salvation. But the Bible tells us, by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God. See, salvation is based on something that is free. The word grace here speaks of something that is undeserved, yet it has been provided. Something that we don't deserve, yet God in His mercy and His grace has provided this salvation free to mankind. It doesn't cost us a thing. We don't have to pull money out of our bank account or out of our pocket. We don't have to walk on our hands and knees bleeding to a statue. We can't achieve it. It's something that's free. Salvation is based on something that is free and it has been freely provided for us. Did any of us deserve salvation? No, I don't think so. I certainly didn't deserve to be saved. I didn't deserve Jesus Christ, the righteous one, giving his life for me, the unrighteous. You know what? It's amazing. When I think of what Jesus Christ done and how he suffered on the cross, it's amazing to me that, that, this, that he would ever do this for me. It's amazing. The, the writer of amazing grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rich like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I stand amazed at what Jesus Christ has done for me. I stand amazed that a holy and righteous God would reach down in sinful humanity as dirty and vile and filthy as we are and reach down in His holiness and righteousness and pick us up and place us in the heavenlies with Him and call us His own and wash us as white as snow in His precious blood. I stand amazed at it. I stand amazed that Jesus Christ would take the form of a man and come to this earth and willingly lay his life on the cross and be beaten and subject to all the scorn and humiliation that this life has to offer and willingly give his life a ransom for my sins. I stand amazed tonight. I don't know why he did it, but he did. Oh, his grace is the only thing that saves us. His mercy and by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God. He willingly gave his life. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Oh, I stand amazed at what Jesus Christ has done for human beings such as we are. The Bible tells us that he loved us so much that he willingly, willingly gave his life for our sins. We see that this Rich young ruler 
He came seeking salvation, and this rich young ruler came. Um, let me find out here. I've done preached myself out of my notes here. He came self-sufficient, but in verse 22 we see that this rich young ruler left a sad sinner. Verse 22 said, "But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had." Great possessions. He had great possessions. What a, what a tragic end to a story. Here this rich man, he no doubt was very influent, influential into the community. He had a lot of possessions. He had a lot of wealth, a lot of maybe houses and, and lands and property. He had a lot of things. He stands in the valley of decision looking salvation square in the eye. And as he stands there, he weighs which way, which path he will take. And the Bible tells us that because of these great possessions that he's had, because of his pride that he had and his possessions that he had, he turned and walked away sorrowful and he went away a sinner. And no doubt unless he changed his mind, unless he uh, later on in life received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, tonight he cries out from hell, I made the wrong decision. Can you picture him tonight there? As he stands in hell tonight. And he's thinking back in his mind. And he's thinking, I was there in the valley of decision. But I made the wrong decision. I went the wrong way. I wanted to hold on to what the world had to offer. And I grasped it and I held it. But today I stand in eternity in a devil's hell. And no doubt he cries out, I've made the wrong decision. Sometimes our decisions are final ones. And we never get another chance to make that decision. The Bible tells us that our life is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. What a tragic end it is to this story. Not only do we see the story of the rich young ruler as he stands in the valley of decision. And as he stands there, not only in the valley of decision, but as he stands in the valley of delusion, in the book of Acts, the Bible tells us of another man that's in this valley. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We see a prison jailer in the valley of despair. Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 22. Here we have the story of Paul and Silas. If they've been put into prison. Here again is a familiar story to all of us, I'm sure. In verse 22, it says, And the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrate ran off their clothes and commanded to, to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly, suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosened. And the keeper of the prison, the jailer, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the, prisoner, the, the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And, he, and then he called for a light and sprang in, and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized. And he and his straightway. And when they had brought themselves into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house." We see here the story of a prison, a prison guard, a jailer that stands in the valley of despair. In verse, 
verses 24 and 27, we see that this jailer, first of all, he was, he was a jailer that was in control. Here we have the story of Paul and Silas as they were preaching, as they were preaching that they were thrown into prison. And the jailer there was given charge of them. And in verse 24, uh, after he was given charge and told them to keep them safely, he, the Bible tells us in verse 24 that he thrust them into the inner part of the prison. He put them into maximum security. He put them in the place where uh, they were most secure that they could not escape from. And not only did he put them in maximum security, the Bible tells us that he placed their, he placed their feet in stock so they could not escape and he could not get away. Here was a jailer that was in total control of the situation. He was told, here's your prisoners. Do not let them escape. If they escape, you're gone. You're out of here. You're history. So he takes them and puts them in the inner part of the prison that day. He is in total control of the situation. He's made every uh, thing happen that he could possibly make happen to have these prisoners secure. Not only that, we see that he was so much in control that in verse 27, it says the keeper of the prison waking out of his sleep. He lays down and goes to sleep. He's, in, he's very calm about the situation. I've got everything under control. These boys are in the prison. They're in the inner part of the prison. I've got guards out there. I've got their feet in stocks. I don't have to worry about them. I'm going to bed. I'm getting some shut eye. And there he lays asleep. But God has different plans, does he not? So as we see in, verse, in these verses here that God causes a great earthquake to come and rattles the foundations of the prisons. The doors were open. <coughs> the prisoners were loose. All the prisoners' bands were loosened. And here we have this earthquake as it wakes up the jailer that night. And it wakes him out of his dead sleep. And he runs and out into the prison there. And he sees the prison doors open. And he knows that the prisoners have escaped because what uh, person in their right mind, if they had an opportunity to get out of prison like that, would stay around? Not many of us, would we? I'd be gone, wouldn't you? But here Paul and Silas, they had a mission to perform. God had something for them to do there, and they stayed there. And as the, as the prison guard, he says, they, they, they escaped. Oh, they escaped. They're going to take my life now. And he draws his sword out of his scalpel, and no doubt he places it to his stomach and starts to thrust it into his own body. But Paul cried out with a loud voice and says, Hey, we're still here. We haven't fled. Do thyself no harm because we are all still here. We see here this in verse 27 that this jailer is in great despair. He is in such despair over what's been taking place that he's fixing to take his own life. One minute he's in total control of the situation. One minute he has everything under his thumb. And the next minute... He's in despair. Isn't that just like life? I know it's happened in my own life. Oh, I, I thought I had everything under control. I thought I had everything worked out. I put a pencil and paper to it. I knew exactly what was going to happen. But God has a way of getting our attention sometimes, does he not? Here, I found myself in great despair when I thought I was in control. That's the way life is. One minute we're in total control. The next minute we're in great despair. We're just one phone call away from this valley called despair. We're just one doctor's visit away from this valley called despair. We're just one moment away from having our whole world be turned upside down. I think of my brother-in-law, Bert. He's not here tonight, and most of y'all know Bert. But, uh, Bert's uh, a young, young man that re retired from State Farm, and he thought, he thought retirement was going to be great. He played golf every day, had a good time. He had it all planned out. He was going to the bank one day in a little Toyota pickup truck. It was raining. A girl come on the wrong side of the road. He went into the ditch, tried to miss her. He couldn't. She hit him head on. It took her life. But it, it hurt Bert so bad he never got over it. Since then, he's had a lot of physical problems. No, most of y'all know the problems that he's had with aneurysms and 
the strokes and the things that he's had, and he's just a walking miracle that, even, that God has allowed him to be able to walk around today and to do as good as he had. The doctors gave him up for dead. The doctors let him lay there for two or three days and talk to Martha about what he, when he stops breathing, do you, are we going to take him off the respirator? What do you, and, but God wasn't finished with him. God still wanted to use him. God raised him up, but Bert had it all figured out. He had his retirement all planned. But one moment changed all that. And y'all, some of y'all know that the story of my, my sister has uh, had heart problems and, and things. And if you had told Bert, this is going to happen to you in the future, he said, no, that's not going to happen to me. I'm the same way. I've got pretty much my life planned, don't you? I've got a pencil to it. I know where I'm headed, <laughs> I think. God has a way of putting a halt on things sometimes. God has a way of getting our attention sometimes. And when we, we, when we think that we're in total control of everything, sometimes we find ourselves in great despair. And this jailer found himself in despair that day, thinking he was in total control of the situation. But now he stands in the valley of despair. We see in verse 29, though, the reaction of this jailer. It says, For he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Here this jailer, he comes and he humbles himself before God. If you'll think about the rich young ruler as he stands there, no doubt very proud with his shoulders back, standing straight up talking to Jesus. Notice the difference in this, in this jailer as he comes and he, he fell down and he humbles himself before Paul and Silas. No doubt earlier in the evening he may have taken part in the beating of these two men. But now God has done something to him and he's put him in the valley of despair and he, he, he humbles himself before God. Oh, the difference between these two men and the way that they came. We not only see in verse 29 that this jailer had been humbled, but we also see that the jailer, in verse 30, the question that he asked. In verse 30, he says, when he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If you'll remember, the rich young ruler asked the question, What good thing shall I do? What can I do? What good thing? What can I, who, can, who can I do something good for that I may receive salvation? He was looking to do something in his own righteousness, in his own uh, material goods or bestow upon someone. But here this jailer had nothing. He had nothing. He was fixing to take his own life. And he bows down and he humbles himself and he falls down and he says, what must I do to be saved? Just tell me what I've got to do. Here I've come humbling myself before you. Tell me. Hey, Mr. Jailer, you don't have to do anything. You know what, Mr. Jailer? It's already been done. Mr. Jailer, all you have to do is believe. Because salvation has already been provided. That free gift of God has already been provided on Calvary's tree. And you don't have to do anything except believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus has paid it all. In verse 31, we see this jailer in Jesus. He was in great despair in verse 27. But because he's humbled himself before God, because he's brought himself in... God has brought him to a place where he's humbled himself. It says in verse 31, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. We see that this jailer believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. In these next verses it tells us there that he received the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 34 it says, Set meat before them, and rejoicing, believing in God, with all his house. Here we have tonight, we've examined the life of two men, both of them standing in the valley of decision. One man standing in the valley of delusion because he was delusional about what it took to receive salvation. 
He thought he could do it in his own strength, in his own power, in his own might. He thought he was self-sufficient to bring something to God. And he went away sad. He went away in delusion. His pride and possessions kept him from receiving God's gift. He made the wrong decision. And the Bible tells us that he went away sorrowful, holding on to all his possessions. We have this other story in the book of Acts about this jailer. Yes, he was in great despair. He was in control at first. God put him in great despair. But out of that despair, he humbled himself before God. And he makes the right decision. The Bible tells us he became humble and he came believing. In verse 34, the Bible says here that he rejoiced believing in God. What a contrast of two men in the valley of decision. One went away sorrowful, the other rejoicing in what God had done for him and his house. And there are multitudes upon untold multitudes today that are standing in this same valley called decision. And what we do as a church greatly influences the decision that these people will make. A decision that has eternal consequences. A decision whether they spend eternity in heaven or they spend eternity in hell. With every head bow, every eye closed. I'm going to ask Brother Rick if he'll come and sing a, a verse. I'm not going to draw it out, I know. And if for someone here tonight that has never been saved, that you're standing in that valley called decision, tonight would be a good night to make the most important decision of your life, to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, to give Him your life, to humble yourself before God, to realize that you have nothing to bring. Simply to His cross you can cling. There's no righteousness that we can perform. There's nothing that we can do. The Bible tells us that our righteousness is as a filthy rags. The best we can do to God is filthy rags. But He gave His Son as a free gift on the cross as our substitute. He gave His Son to die in my place and your place so that we could receive salvation. If you're here tonight and you've never been saved, would you come? If you're here tonight and you're standing in that valley of decision about some other aspect of your life and you have allowed the flesh to make decisions for you, and you say, Brother Damon, tonight I want to the Holy Spirit to make my decisions for me. I want what God's Word to make my decisions for me. The altar is open. Come as Brother Rick sings. <laughs> Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Appreciate y'all's attention, appreciate the opportunity, <clears throat> again, that Brother Tripp, Brother Ken has afforded me. <clears throat> uh, thank Brother Rick's going to come now, and if you've got your green sheet with you tonight, he's going to go over the prayer request with you. Uh, for tonight's service. I mean, appreciate Brother Damon's message tonight. I do. I do. I, I appreciate his heart. And he ministered to me tonight. I appreciate him, brother. I really do. Appreciate him standing here tonight and giving us the word. One second. Some thanks to some people tonight. Brother Bob's up there running the, the sound for us. Uh, brother Mike Turnmeyer's uncle passed away in Alabama and had to leave suddenly to go down there. So let's remember that family. And I want to thank Terry for filling in Oregon tonight. And Pat and Brother Tommy are with the, the group down there in, in Mexico. You can look down here on our prayer sheet and you can see that uh, our missionary of the week is Andy and Tanya Barker with the Rock of Ages Prisons Ministry. And the church of this week is a 
Sequoia Baptist Tabernacle, Brother David Stansel. I want you to pray for that church, especially. I've got a lot of friends that go there. And there's a, there's a need for a work like that church can offer in that community. And let's pray for that church. That God will do something special through Brother David and the church there. And meet the needs of the folk out there in that area. In the hospital list, we see Juanita Warnick and Ray Abney, Hal, Wat Hal Waterhouse, and Gertrude Hubbard. Let's remember all these tonight. Uh, as Brother Damon was bringing the message, these songs were going through my mind. And uh, uh, only believe all things are possible. I want to sing that little, little chorus. We're going to stand in just a second. We'll sing that little chorus. And then we're going to ask everybody who would like to come to the front. And let's all meet around the altar tonight and bring our burdens and our cares and our prayer requests. Let's just bring them and lay them at his feet tonight. He's able to take care of everything. But I found when I keep my hands on things, I mess them up. When we turn it over to him, he has everything under control. So let's all stand tonight. Let's sing that little chorus, I Only Believe. And then we'll sing that a couple of times. And we'll ask everybody to come on down the front that would like to or you just knew where you want to. But let's just... Sing it to him tonight. Only believe all things are possible. Only believe. Only believe. Only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. Everyone at will this, this evening, let's all come around and gather around the altar. Let's have a word of prayer.